Welcome to Visionaries. I'm your host, Jacob Wolf, a former ESPN award-winning investigative journalist. Twice a week, we welcome on some of the most influential and powerful people in gaming, new media, and the internet. Today, we're joined by Steve Aronset, the co-CEO of Team Liquid. Earlier this year, Forbes named Team Liquid the third most valuable esports organization in the world, estimating that they are worth $440 million. With a sizable new investment, Liquid invested millions themselves this year in building the most expensive League of Legends roster in Western history, comprised of some of the most veteran names in the game. And it failed. The team failed to qualify for the World Championship, placing even worse than they did a year ago with a much more affordable lineup. It was devastating for the team. And on Monday, Aaron Set released a video where he seemed truly debilitated. So we wanted to welcome him on to talk about the risk associated with running a half a billion dollar business in esports and get his unique perspective on how the business is changing. Steve Aronset, welcome to Visionaries. Steve, how are you doing? What's up, everybody? It's great to be here. Thanks, Jacob. It was nice to finally get a message from you that wasn't in regards to a potential leak or roster change. So yeah, it's great to be here and excited for the conversation. I have a really good photographic memory. And one of my like favorite memories of that like time period was when you all initially signed Jensen all those years ago. I was like traveling and staying at like my girlfriend's like kind of apartment in the middle of South Texas. That was the time that you took a picture of your phone with your other phone. And then tweeted that I was calling you like minutes after the open of the deadline. I remember where I was when that photo was taken on the other side of the phone too. Yeah, we were Always sitting, a good time. Yeah, we were sitting in the conference room and you called and I was like, Dodo, give me your phone. Give me your phone. And, <laughs> he's like, what? I was like, I just need to take a picture. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. And then I, I DM'd you. I was like, is it okay if I take if I post this? <laughs> so this is proof, y'all, that like all of the stuff that you, if you watched the free agency show last year and you saw like the ridiculous overhead cam with me and bloop that's a legitimate thing like there was a reason that was muted because it, uh, people we were calling for both for comment and for information were on the other side of the phone and in that instance steve was on the receiving end of the comment request that was uh, doing our doing our jobs that was real that was not spoofing anywho steve i wanted to have you on the pod it's been a really interesting year for esports coming out of the pandemic and i want to start there it was reported this year that team liquid's the third most valuable esports organization in the world hence the title, the name of the space. You all have had a lot of success long-term. I think a lot of people would consider your organization one of the originals of this organization, even like what predates the esports investment boom even by 15 years or so. So what has it been like running an esports team this year from a a sort of top-down perspective? Yeah, this year has probably been very different than previous years. I know my start in esports has been 10 years now. And for a large majority of that, there was a lot of growth. I'd say it was kind of like a gold rush era where you took something that you really love and genuinely consume and play and you wake up one day and all of a sudden it's a business instead of a hobby. And the pouring of investment into the space and the convergence of the kind of macroeconomics of inflation and the war and policy joined up with the 
failure of a number of esports organizations, agencies, streaming platforms created a change in the the climate from growth to maybe protect <laughs> a bit. So during COVID affected the economy, affected real events. And I would say for Team Liquid, we adapted really well. Both Victor and I, who's the co-CEO of the company, we spoke to our staff and talked about embracing the emergent activity that was around us to stay fluid, stay liquid, <laughs> and to be comfortable with change. So having the right philosophy in a changing environment helps you come out ahead. One thing we heard a lot, and we've talked about this with people like Atrioc and others on this show who have that little bit more critical mind. Obviously, he works in marketing at NVIDIA and has like a lot of insights that he was sharing early on when he was in the show eight, eight weeks ago now or seven weeks ago, is that esports, th there was a lot of selling and I was constantly getting PR firms reach out about this kind of stuff in the summer of 2020. Sports is canceled and esports is the next big thing and all of this sale, obviously massive fundraising that was happening in 2020 and it, these values that are hundreds of millions of dollars for these companies that were getting investments of 30, 40, $50 million dollars. Do you think that that was artificial or did you feel like there was a really big growth surge back then? And how do you think it compares to the environment now in the way that you were just talking about? Yeah, so you're exactly right. There's some fundamentals within esports that are very powerful. I'll call them the headwinds. You have a young demographic that has high engagement on media properties and platforms and the engagement time dwarfs the average on most media consumption. Just gamers like to watch a lot of content. And you combine that with sports and being able to build connections with fans. Typically, sports teams have a deeper connection with their fan base than a typical brand does with a consumer. And you therein have a huge opportunity. To answer your question more simply, Absolutely. I dream of a future in 10, 20, 30 years from today where you're going to have fans of Team Liquid around the world who will have had kids that will be fans of Team Liquid and so on. What I think the harsh reality that kind of happened over the last, I'd say, three years or once COVID started was that you saw this kind of washing away of teams and organizations and companies that took in funding, but failed to create real business, to create a real enterprise. And at the same time, you saw some organizations flourish during that, acquiring assets that were depreciated and devalued. You saw them adapt into enterprises instead of just esports teams, setting up different business verticals that were close enough to esports and became real legitimate companies. And so I think it mirrors a lot of other industries where investment capital comes in and it gets put on certain companies. Some people put it on management. Some people put it on brand. Some people put it on a competitive advantage within the space, agency, developer, team, platform, software, whatever because there's a lot of different ways to invest within esports and gaming. And some of them work out and some of them don't. If I were to ask Peter and Ted, which I have in our board meetings, why did you invest into Team Liquid? 
back in 2015, their response would be resounding to say, we invest in people before anything else. It was a little bit of the dichotomy of the personality between Victor and I, where I'm way more marketing, sales, outbound, brand, messaging, marketing content, and Victor's operations, and really thoughtful and brings a level of detail to our execution and thoughtfulness to our decision-making. It was just a great combination to kind of set us on our ship, I guess. To clarify for those listening that unfamiliar with the people he's referring to there, that would be Peter Goober, who is the major investor in the Golden State Warriors and has a background in film and entertainment, who invests in Team Liquid, and then Ted Leonsis, who owns the Washington Wizards, Washington Capitals, and the D.C. Arena in Washington, D.C., all the sports properties in that city as well, who also invested in Team Liquid around the same time. Clarify for those unfamiliar. It's interesting that you mention, I think maybe people now know Team Liquid is this monolithic thing wasn't always that way. Yours and Victor's partnership at its very early beginning when things merged and you had to find a new team name and then eventually just merged into the organization and brought all the league assets with you. You are an interesting partnership, far different than many of the other people that are in this space, especially in the LCS sphere. And in the sense that you are, as you just sort of alluded to, the perfect American salesman in the sense of very, very much that way, obviously come from a marketing background yourself before you worked in this industry too. And Victor is a very soft-spoken European who is a heads down, does the work. And it's, you're right, it is a, it is a very interesting dichotomy and match between the two of you because you operate business very differently. And I think that's one of the more interesting things about Liquid is that you guys are very unique to the space, the way that you conduct yourself. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I think of it like a marriage. I feel like Victor and I got married in 2014 or whatever the year was. And uh, it's interesting because when you think about partnering with someone, whether it's a relationship or a business colleague or a friend, you have a relationship. And it's not that you're so similar sometimes. It's the complementariness of what you bring to each other in order to like yield whatever your vision is for that relationship. And I think it works that way a little bit in business. And so the foundation of it was our values. I, I, I stick to them no matter what. And just here at Team Liquid, doing what's right matters. It just really does, period. And I know Victor feels the exact same way. And that bled into our decision-making, our judgment on a day-to-day -day basis, the type of company and the type of people that we worked around and brought into the Team Liquid family. And so I think before anything else, it was alignment there. And then it kind of really worked out to, to, to be great compliments to one, one another in terms of skill set for the business. In terms of how big Team Liquid is now, what staff size are you all at? What are you dealing with on a, a daily basis? Staff size, I think we're, I want to say like 260-ish full-time employees. We grew quite a bit during COVID. We've been super lucky and having such amazing staff in order to produce great growth year after year after year. We have a number of folks in Sao Paulo, Brazil. We have a facility in the Netherlands, in Utrecht, and we have a facility in Santa Monica. I think the facility in Utrecht is like 10,000 square feet. We just expanded to 12,000 square feet in, in LA. So we're truly a global esports team. I think a lot of other teams are typically in one region, one market, 
one language. What we found is that the beauty of esports is boundless by geography. It's one of the things that makes it so special, that makes it different than other professional esports like football and baseball and basketball. And in order to unlock that potential of a global fan base, you need representation globally in different languages and different cultures. And so we made sure to make decisions to see that through in a sustainable way. And it's worked out for us because what we've been able to identify is that our partners, we tend to work really well with partners that sell products and services globally. These huge organizations that care about distribution in the Netherlands and also in Brazil and also in California and Canada and so on, right? So that's really helped our business by being such a global organization. One thing I want to ask about that, because I think it as much as a benefit as it presents on the marketing, sales side, et cetera, I'm sure it also presents a challenge of identity. I think one thing that's really interesting about if you look at use T1 as an example, right? The biggest League of Legends team in all of South Korea, they the way that they've had to adapt what they're doing on one part of their business, Philadelphia Fusion, and what they do with T1 are two totally different entities that have to market a very different way to a very different fan base. Like you were talking about, some of these teams, and I think part of the reason we see more and more European-based organizations buying into the LEC, as confirmed and reported both, is because those people had not know how to market to Europeans, Spanish fans in this very specific case, whereas the LCS teams are sort of predominantly marketing to Americans, right? It's the American market targeting the American media market. You all being that global, do you think you all struggle a little bit to determine what is the identity of Team Liquid having such a large consumer base in so many different games in so many different regions? <laughs> Were you in a meeting a couple of years ago with our brand marketing content team? We definitely had that on the wall. I think a lot of esports teams struggle with this kind of homogenization of an identity within gaming. And if you go all the way back to the early Team Liquid era, close to 20 years ago, then you would have some sense of who Team Liquid was based on their participation primarily in StarCraft and then in Dota. And then you also think back to Team Curse when we had the Mansion and NY Jackie and Boy Boy, and there's a pretty big dichotomy within that. And then you now have this kind of merged entity of Team Liquid in 2016. And you start expanding the brand into different games and different creators. And then you wake up one day and you say, wait, that identity that we thought we had, where did it go? And what is it defined by? And so we started a process of dialing in to that question in a really thoughtful way. And by doing so, what we did is we did a survey to over 100 individuals within the gaming industry. And Yours truly included in that, by the way. Which oh, you is were? I'm asking. Yes, I was. Yeah. Oh, that, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. And so we, we did one-on-one -on -one conversations that lasted 30 minutes to an hour with each individual we did other types of surveys as well. We did a competitive analysis of adjectives that described each esports team in the space and just mountains of data that kind of led us to find our identity as an organization. And 
what we saw on one side of the coin was that there was a lot of teams that were in this kind of bro-y, very misogynistic, kind of superficial validation, clicks, chasing hype, caring about how they look and the perception that the audience has of them on some sort of pedestal. And it was felt like the antithesis of Team Liquid. You know, it was like, we're not bro-y. <laughs> we're, we're geeky and weird and different and peculiar. <laughs> and like, we care a lot about mastery and getting good at things and pursuing excellence. And that's just not us. And that's okay. That works for the phases of the world and the teams like the phases. But Team Liquid is so much different. It's this kind of mastery and myth and cosplay and creative and min-maxing and just approaching gaming from that type of perspective that just felt very much like me and very much like Victor and very much like what we had when we when we would bring our huddles together and see all of our staff together. It felt like that this is a representation of who we are. And so we started to really center in on that. And then now we're weaving it into everything that we do. We first set out, we said, look, we can't be for inclusivity and diversity within gaming unless we have representation within Team Liquid that represents that from the outside looking in, right? We can't claim that. We've got to fix that. And I'm very proud of what we've been able to progress. We're not all the way there yet, but we've made large strides on improving the ratio of women to men within Team Liquid. We've promoted women within TL to leadership positions. And this is just the start, right? And we and go on for like 20 other items. We've tried to ensure that each piece of our content that we publish has proper representation in it so that you're not just seeing some phase bro dude on the cover of a thumbnail. And sorry, that's my Game of Thrones cell phone ringer. He's going <laughs> off. <laughs> People keep on your HTC phone or no? <laughs> yeah, no, not, not HTC. <laughs> I have an iPhone, but yes. <laughs> but anyway, so I'll get off my soapbox. But what I'm trying to say is that, yes, we are focusing on it. And we're not all the way there yet, but there will come a time where hopefully we run that survey again and people know exactly who we are and what we stand for and what we believe in. And it's really centered around the peculiarly passionate. And that's you know how we think about it. So we're working on it and we'll get there. So I have a, another question on that front and it's the monetization question. One of the biggest things that esports hasn't quite figured out is how to monetize the audience effectively. Right. It depends on which audience you're speaking to. But if you are doing a product advertisement and you're advertising to a 14 and 18 year old to buy a car, especially an expensive car, a luxury car. And obviously some of the people in this industry have BMW and Mercedes sponsorships. You all have a Honda sponsorship, a little bit more affordable in the class. But have you figured out the secret formula here to monetizing this audience effectively? Or is it still just advertising sales on numbers that are really big because you have a lot of aggregates in your network, you have a lot of players that have a lot of eyeballs on them, et cetera? Or is there like a real secret here to monetizing this effectively? I would say monetization of a fan base feels very icky, by the way. You have what I'll consider kind of like B2B channels, right? Those B2B channels are like consultancy, partnership, media rights, media revenue through pre-roll, mid-roll, 
standard media units, CPM value. Then you have a bunch of kind of service revenue against talent and creators and also players. These these are all ways to set up a, a really healthy business. And I would go as far to say that Team Liquid excels in all of these, far better than a lot of our competitors in the space. So I'm really proud of like our competency in a lot of these B2B verticals. What I don't think any team has been able to prove out, which I think is the genesis of your question, is a direct consumer commercialization or sale of a product or a service to fans directly. And there's platforms out there that try to do this, but you've got 100 Thieves that is doing that in the apparel space with hats, hoodies, t-shirts, and drops. You saw, I think, G2 do a few things with NFTs, I believe, and digital goods. But I have yet to see something that solves a problem, is welcomed by the audience, and is high quality. So until that point, it doesn't exist. And I think it will at some point. I know we're working on it, <laughs> but we're still waiting for those things to come into play in order for us to, to prove that out. But Liquid. being able to provide some sort of service or product to a very large fan base, you're talking about exponential revenue growth rather than more linear revenue growth in the B2B channels. You're telling me that a Liquid Plus would not be moving to the blockchain anytime soon? Is that what you're saying? Moving to the blockchain. Well, God, you open a can of words. I don't even know. <laughs> like, you know, I think, well, one, I think Liquid Plus is absolutely amazing. Of course, I'm completely biased, but I think it's the first and only type of product that exists in this space. It's absolutely incredible. But on the blockchain comment, I, I think there's a lot of negativity around digital goods or NFTs, maybe blockchain technology, but I think there's a lot of very good fundamental things associated with, let's just put it generally, blockchain technology, that its use cases haven't been proved out yet. Correct. I think that's right. I want to talk League of Legends because obviously you put out a video on Monday that, I'm going to be honest, surprised me. And I would say it surprised me because the I read and listen and watch a lot of stuff that happens in tech and business. And there's been a legitimate and valid criticism of people in positions like yours, high level CEO, executive level positions at very valuable companies, that they are awful at admitting defeat and failure. And that they just want to be these like egomaniac centralized people that can do no wrong. And so what struck me about the video that you put out on Monday is clearly very somber but also very thoughtful about what went wrong and very honest for the most part as well. And so in creating that video and putting together that moment, were you thinking about the amount of vulnerability you were going to show and talking about what went wrong with your team? Absolutely. <laughs> I say <clears throat> staying humble and being transparent is just part of that kind of identity of Team Liquid. And staying true to that, even when it's really hard and it may not look great, is the reality of the situation that needs to be expressed. Trying to cover up your emotion and feelings with some sort of marketing PR bullshit is shooting yourself in the foot. People want honesty. I think people want answers people cheer for us there was a young woman that was literally crying during the during the game when we got eliminated there's real emotion behind 
cheering for our teams and players. We owe it <laughs> to be transparent. And it's just a harsh reality. I took a bet. I took a big bet, a massive bet, a bet that maybe a lot of folks wouldn't make. And that bet comes with risk. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. And there's no one to blame. Do not blame the players. I know I've seen a lot of hate online for some of the guys. It's not their fault. It's not. We put all of them in a situation of insane pressure, high expectations, world caliber, best LCS team ever created with every resource you could possibly imagine being thrown at them. It's human nature to crumble. It's okay. It didn't work out. I put that together. I decided to put that roster together. I decided to shoot for the swing for the fences. That was my decision. So if you're going to be angry at anybody, you can be angry at me. I would take the gander and guess based off of the reporting and my knowledge of this industry and what happens behind it, that this is the most expensive League of Legends roster to exist in the history of the game outside of maybe ones in China. What was the decision to go spend like that so aggressively? And especially in what was a, I wouldn't call last November a bear market, but it felt like some people were making the total opposite decision and wanting to just run budget teams to make it through especially among what everybody felt was oncoming financial and economic issues that we are now feeling now today. We spent some dough <laughs> on our roster. I don't believe it was at all reckless. I think Team Liquid in comparison to a lot of the other teams within the LCS is has high competency when it comes to making the most of our investment, like generating revenue off of our participation in the league. Since franchising, we have been a team that invests we shoot for the fences. And I'm proud of that. I understand that a lot of teams were pulling out because of market conditions. I saw that as an opportunity. I thought that worlds being in North America and us coming back after the four Pete and having not won a title, that it would segment our place as a legacy within North American LCS League of Legends. And that was the goal. And so it seemed like a time to invest given worlds, given the divestment from other teams, our ability to put together on paper a roster that seemed insane. So all of that line of sight led to a level of confidence to, to put the chips in the pot, <laughs> so to speak. And that's what we did. There's a saying in the tech world called OPM, other people's money. And the something you said in your video that I want to follow up on from Monday is that you mentioned both partners and investors. Clearly, you all raised a very significant investment round that was announced this summer, earlier this summer. And then even after that, you all did announce several very high profile sponsorships, I would imagine, that come with high price tags associated with them. Was there an expectation from your investors and your sponsors that Team Liquid was going to be at Worlds this year? Was that said and promised? I'll tell you a story. Back in 2015, we, Victor and I, were seeking investment. We had to write a $10 million check into the LCS. Holy moly, that's a lot of money. We don't got that on our balance sheet. We need to go find some investors. So we went and spoke to a number of folks, private equity, venture capital, institutional, individual 
family office, like a whole gamut. And we came to the conclusion that it was important for us to have investors and partners that really understood sports, that they understood what it meant to invest in a winning team and a winning franchise and build legacy, and that they weren't using other people's money, to your point. They were using their own money to do this. And I remember one time I was sitting in Peter Goober's office at his house in LA, and he said to me, he said, we're going to win together and laugh together and enjoy together. And we're also going to cry together. And that's just the way things go in sports. <laughs> and we had a lot of cheering and good times together, you know, and a lot of wins. The International, the four P, the Grand Slam and Counter-Strike. I mean, absolutely insane. So we hadn't yet had a moment to cry together. So I think we did that together. And, and I think I'm really, I'm proud of our decision to partner, but I'm just also proud to have investors who understand their ups and downs within sports and that not all the time you're going to be batting at, I don't even know the analogy, whatever percentage or number, like batting at whatever. I don't follow baseball very much, but like it's going to happen. And, and yeah, I appreciate our investors and their, their trust in, in our management. Were sponsors, though, sort of led to believe that there would be something at Worlds this year in North America with Team Liquid? We never guarantee anything that we can't control completely. We're very thoughtful in how we communicate to our teams and partners. Of course, our partners were upset. They should be. When you get knocked down and you're down and out and you get swung and you're, you got to get back up. Like, you, yes, you can absorb the emotion with that impact that just took you to the ground. You can feel it for a second. But I think what we've done a really good job of is after fourth place finish and fourth place finish and almost getting in promotion relegation in the LCS, you get back up and you come up with a plan and a vision for what you're going to do the next year. And you get excited about that and you rally support for it. And it makes a lot of sense. And so that's what we're doing. And I can't share, don't ask any of the plans for next year in terms of what we're going to be doing with the roster or just our participation in LCS, but there's some pretty exciting stuff. I am. I'm throwing it out there. I'm excited about it. I've gotten through that stage of being on the ground. I'm ready to go. Communicating those plans to our partners is part of it. And they're partners for a reason. There is a legitimate reporting that you are dismissing your coaching staff. I'd be remiss not to mention it just because I think it should be mentioned from someone that is fairly reputable for the most part. Anywho, not endorsing that myself, but definitely should mention. The other part I want to ask about that is it feels like League of Legends is changing over. That's really interesting that there are a set of young players who I would argue maybe even are less marketable in some instances that are taking over the game. You saw CLG's success this year. Some of those guys are not as veteran as some of the people on your roster or even on like Cloud9's roster, et cetera. Although Cloud9 obviously has Berserker, who's very young as well. And then you look at Evil Geniuses, who two of their stars are really young. They don't remember the days of people like Doublelift and et cetera, who've been on your team before, where like literally were couch serving to make this a career. Their perspective is they came into this industry and it was there. And their first check was, I said this to somebody the other day, their first check was, Six figures, not five, which is a very significant difference. The industry is changing. Does that 
worry you that if it becomes more if the talent pipeline is these players who are more game focused and less market focused because they haven't had to be is that concerning from you from a, ability to create content with them or market them or whatever you may need to do outside of the game i would honestly say the inverse is true i'm excited i'm elated by the fact that there are rookies that are proving that they can compete in many instances play better than a lot of the experienced pros. I think it's incredible. It's what we've been dreaming for. It's like an opportunity to see these rookies come up and go toe to toe. Am I a little jealous that Evil Geniuses has been able to identify that talent and promote them and put them into LCS and see success? Sure. Yeah. That's okay. You know, I think we at TL have done an incredible job of building talent. I think it was so interesting. I think there was this one stat, it was a couple of years ago, where I think it was like 70% of all the players that were in the LCS had been through Team Curse, Team Lull Pro, Team Liquid Academy, or Team Liquid at one point. <laughs> it was like pretty nuts. And so, yeah, we developed talent. I think a lot of times we let them go to compete on other rosters or we opt for more of a less risk type of roster with more experienced folks. To answer your question more simply, I'm excited to see that. And I think we're also really good at it. We won Proving Grounds back to back and came in second, the one before that. It's not like that we're missing the infrastructure. We're just not choosing to, to in all cases, promote them to our LCS team. Right. I'm excited to to lean in into that a bit more into the team liquid future for LCS. It's part of that decision to be less risk averse, to take chances on just look at your roster this year, the amount of people on that roster who have played since the beginning of professional League of Legends or shortly thereafter in its first three years or four years of its game's existence. There's a few of them on that roster, Santorin, Bjergsen, and Core. And the other two have been not that far after. It's still been like almost six years for both of those guys. Obviously, a very veteran roster in the league compared to some of the others. Has part of that assessment also been that being the winningest team, being the team that's always on top, comes with commercialization aspects as well? Because I feel like that is the conversation I've had so many times with executives in league is unless we're winning, it is really hard to build out sales or build out whatever, find those sponsorship opportunities. Is that a part of that? In short, I believe there's an ROI to winning. If you're saying, does winning lead to other commercialization revenue opportunities for the team? Yes, absolutely. I would say that Team Liquid is probably well positioned to, if we're struggling in one game, we're hopefully doing well in another. We're in 17, 18 games now. And I think that diversification helps bring a level of consistency to our partners. And also that you know, we're always going to be pursuing excellence, period, in every game. So when you make that commitment, sometimes you miss, but sometimes you hit. And, and we'll, for Team Liquid, pursuing excellence will never change. That will always be the case. I think our technique in League of Legends will just be different next year. I look forward to seeing what's happening. Maybe not reporting on it as much this year because I'm working on this stuff, which is a different area of avenue. But you never know. Could always come back. So we do have some really good audience questions, and I want to make sure that we address them. There are a couple of people that have messaged us and said they can't make it to actually ask themselves. So the first question is from Muska, which is, 
What moments in the history of the company has made you feel most proud? Most proud. I think our first championship in LCS was a pretty special moment. It's like one of those things where you get up there and you're holding the trophy, you're raising it. It feels really good, but it feels way better when the journey's tough. <laughs> it just yeah. does. And that's what happened with the first championship in LCS. We were struggling and we did so much and failed so many times that we just got back up and kept trying and then it led to success. And I think that applies to a lot of aspects of life. Don't let things get you down. You just got to keep swinging. You got to get back up. You got to keep, don't let anything break your spirit and your will. It's one of the most powerful things and you stick to it. And so that just felt really good <laughs> to, to win that first championship. Well, very special moment too, because if I remember right, that's the Miami championship, which considering the circumstances of everything around double lift and what happened with his family, it, it, a lot of pressure there, not just on the business side of things too. Peter is probably one of the most resilient. God, just, I can't even imagine the type of just being able to have such control over your emotions and your mind to have that happen and then come and win a championship. Absolutely insane. And he was clutch. He was clutch. He was clutch when like everything around him was such. Yeah, that, that, that definitely added to a lot of the emotion and I love Peter and to win alongside him after he had to like carry, <laughs> carry me in lane early in League of Legends for LCS and stuff. So yeah, it was all very special. Yeah, incredible player. One of the most moving stories in all of esports, regardless of the game. Next question is from Macchiatori, which the question is, what do you think of the LCS format from an owner's standpoint? Do you think it needs to change in order for the LCS to become more competitive? And what would you like to see to see changed if so how would you feel as an owner if lcs was more competitive at the cost of viewership what if the lcs was more competitive at the cost of viewership well one i don't think it works that way i think they're saying if they change the format to be like more exciting for entertainment purposes and that uh, or if they made it longer actually i think yeah the question would be if it's if it's longer if games are longer if we go to like sort of the lck model best of whatever then i could see viewership going down on that because people sort of the time of commitment's longer, but I guess it's more balanced would be the, the argument. Mm, mm, got it. Yeah. I don't envy the job of the league on balancing viewership and competitiveness on one side of it, playing more games. Does that prepare the teams for international competition or is it other factors? And there's a lot of them. We need to improve the product if the product being like the LCS, just like the LEC is a product and the number of games we play in best of one or best of three or Monday or Friday or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or all of that is incredibly complex to figure out. And, you know, they look at data and reports and try to make the best decisions. But for me personally, 
That in itself pales in comparison to the actual content of the broadcast, the quality of the announcers, the quality of the shoulder content, the depth of the analysis. I think fans of League of Legends are just much older. It's not a new game anymore. Like right. you want to listen to casters and analysts that are teaching you something about the game. You want to be like, watch the broadcast and be like, oh my gosh, I learned something today. That was really great perspective. Or you want to be entertained, right? And so figuring out the style and the marketing of the broadcast. And I think Jackie, who's the new LCS commissioner for the LCS, her stepping in and being very tenacious and thoughtful about the look, feel, and the content of the broadcast was the right approach. Honestly, she has a marketing skill set, And I think that's going to be needed. And I've already seen a number of changes on the broadcast, and I'm sure it's going to just continue to improve, which is better than the direction it was heading in. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously Chris Greeley came into the business at a time to sort of formalize the LCS right around the get ready for partnerships, pitches, take the hundred whatever applications, hundred plus applications they took and vet and go through all of these things. And he's a lawyer. That's his background. Whereas Jackie is somebody that comes from the esports community originally and has worked on a bunch of other broadcast properties, et cetera, during her time in the, the industry. So I think that is a unique and different change. I think my team invited them to speak, uh, but May, we've invited you to speak to ask your question. Hi, Steve. Uh, big fan of Team Liquid. And you mentioned a little while ago having to balance uh, 16 or 17 different games. Um, how do you find sort of like the time and the focus to devote to each individual team, um, especially when different games have really different fan bases? Um, do, and do you see a lot of crossover? Do you see a lot of folks who are fans of LCS also tuning into um, Valorant or, or Counter-Strike and what have you? Thanks, May. I appreciate the question and appreciate you being a TL fan. Thank you. So the answer is that it's incredibly complex. So if you were to think about each different game, there's some cross-pollination between the audiences, that, but for the most part, they're separated by game genre. And within each game genre, there's a lot of different games. We have an internal structure that's called a pod structure within brand marketing and content. And each of our pods are responsible for having subject matter expertise in that particular game genre. And that way they're speaking authentically and with the right knowledge of that particular game. And so that content pod is responsible for running our platforms, our videos, our copy, whatever it might be that we produce around engagement for that particular game. Each game that we have rolls up to either Victor or I in athletics. And we work very closely with John, who's our senior director of esports. Victor and I basically choose which game based on personal predisposition, I guess. Like I freaking love TFT. Like I watch it, I play it. Like I've been trying to lose some weight. And so I go to the I go on the treadmill and I have my big iPad and I put TFT on there and I put on 15% incline and 3% speed and I just like play TFT until it shuts it off in an hour. I just love the game for me to, you know, hang out with Kurum and Robin and all of our other players is like I love that. I'm energized by it. And so there are certain games that we gravitate towards and participate in. So that's how we manage it. And the last thing I'll say is that we have been trying to find that connective tissue of a Team Liquid fan that follows across a lot of different games. And I'm not sure if you have seen our Wave of One campaign that we launched on socials last week. 
but we did this whole animated sequence, which is super cool. It reminds me of the older Worlds videos that Riot used to produce with each of the players as animated characters within their game IP for Champion. And anyway, we did something very similar and had representation from all of our different titles and that we're really just this big wave of one. It's a lot to follow so many different games, but yeah, there's definitely a nucleus of fans that, that ride that wave. So the next question is actually going to be from a member of my team who has a question that I didn't get the opportunity to ask. And this is funny because this is the pioneered by, to frame up this question, this is the pioneered by Reginald uh, question followed by you and Jack adopting some of the same form. And I think when you started to become more public-facing as executives, I don't think anybody believed that Nate Shaw was going to enter the league back then when that first started. So now, you, now you're a little bit usurped by someone who was a professional player and is a very famous content creator. So Sammy, go ahead with your question. Hi, Steve. Um, I, I, I have a question. So you spoke about bottom feeders in the, uh, in the LCS on Doublelift's podcast and, and teams that are just there to check boxes. Um, so I'm curious, do you feel there's a correlation to a team's performance or brand when there's a CEO or C-level executive who is not only front-facing for media and fans, but is also involved within the team's operations? Yes. So two, two parts to that question. Are there free riders in the LCS? Are there free riders in other sports leagues? Yes, that just happens. <laughs> and there are some people that have the check the, check the box mentality. Wish it wasn't the case. It is the case. Oh, well, what can we do about it? Not much. So that's just the harsh reality. In terms of participation as a CEO, as a content creator, I don't view myself as a content creator at all. <laughs> that's, not my, that's not my thing. But there's something to be said about being able to personify brand elements through an actual person versus just words on a page. We hope that one day maybe Blue, who... Blue's our kind of mascot, and that Blue can kind of start to embody some of the identity of Team Liquid and be represented that is in places where Victor or I can't be. And part of it too is also, we want to empower a lot of the staff at Team Liquid to also be representatives of the brand and their specific genre or discipline. And we want to do that more. So I'll use TFT as an example because I was just talking about it, but Mortog, right? Like Mortog is like, He's like an icon of DFT, right? <laughs> like that kind of concept of being able to have representatives within Team Liquid that can speak on certain disciplines in ways that are aligned with the identity of the brand is really special and something that we hope to foster more. And the next question is going to be from Tony Lee. And this will be our last question for the evening. Tony, you can go ahead and unmute and ask your question. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, hey, Steve. Uh, I'm curious how you're thinking about growing the physical presence of your fan base um, for Team Liquid um, and their experiences versus online streaming, which is the norm. Um, specifically, like, will esports head towards the route of traditional sports viewing more and more, or will there be specific differences that really separates the two? Thanks so much for your question, Tony. I appreciate it. Yeah, my, my perspective is that IRL and virtual needs to be done you need to do both well, period, in order to grow your fan base. So I'll use a couple examples. I'll use League of Legends first. One of my other favorite memories from League of Legends was being in New York City when we were playing at Madison Square Gardens and 
the might of being in that arena. And then I was with the team and we walked outside and there was throngs of people just like waiting to ambush us to just like, I don't know, it was just so insane. I had never been surrounded by so many people. It's such a, it was just nuts. And then, you know, the next day, like Washington Square Park and like 5,000 people showing up to like give gifts and autographs. It's just absolutely, it's insane, you know? And that's one directional. That's a one directional relationship. That's not even a good IRL event, right? For example, like down, I'm going to be flying down to Brazil in a month, I think, for a Brazil game show. A lot of folks don't know this, but... We are the, I think, third largest esports, I'm sorry, third largest gaming brand in all of Brazil. That's nuts. That's actually crazy, right? When you think about it. Like, and so we're having this huge event that's going to be at Brazil Game Show. It's a massive thing. It's going to next to the TikTok booth and Alienware booth. And there's going to be the Marvel booth, booth right next to us. And it, it, it's like one of the biggest spaces within the thing. And we're going to do a whole series of IRL experiences for our fans and stuff. So yes. And then after parties, I know Travis, we've done a couple of the, the Travis, the Travis, what is it called? The show that he does, that he does IRL at events. And so we've done a couple of those and we need to do better. But like, if you've been to an IRL event around League of Legends, you probably had a really cool experience from Team Liquid, right? There's been a couple other teams. Maybe they're not investing so much. We invest in something cool when you, when you get there and, and we'll continue to do that. And then for online virtual engagement, Liquid Plus is by far better than any other platform out there for a team. I know that for a fact. And so our fans that go into Liquid Plus and sign up and start doing events and experiences and navigating around, they, they deepen their relationship with us and it's reciprocal because it's not one directional. So it's pretty cool. Anyway, so that's the answer is both are important and both are things that we do. That's all for our show. If you like this episode of Visionaries, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Special thanks to Sammy Daig and Prem Thoramkara for assisting with this episode. We'll see you on Tuesday.